Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. And today I'm going to be telling you the story of Glenn and Bessie Hyde. Today I am drinking a cup of hot black coffee in a Merry Christmas mug. Perfect for the 90 degree weather. (laughs) I have an iced coffee from Bada Bean. Per the use. So pour yourselves a cup or a mug of whatever you're drinking and let's dive in. We will continue on with our content for this week's episode shortly, but first we wanted to take a moment to let you know about an opportunity to listen to even more Crime Over Coffee content. By signing up for our Patreon, you can receive ad-free episodes and additional content. To check out this opportunity and sign up for the Crime Over Coffee Patreon, visit www.patreon.com slash crimeovercoffeepod. Thank you again for all of your support. I'm going to tell you all the story of Glenn and Bessie Hyde, who were newlyweds that went missing in the early to mid-1900s. Bessie Louise Haley was born on December 19, 1905, and she was born in Parkersburg, West Virginia, where she grew up and graduated high school. She was born to William and Charlotte Haley and apparently always had a love and talent for theater. And she actually played Juliet in the high school's rendition of Romeo and Juliet. In 1924, she graduated high school and moved to California, enrolling in the California School of Fine Arts in San Francisco. And she also was a poet, and she did release a series of poems. During this time, she ended up marrying her high school sweetheart named Earl Hemlock. However, they had a lot of marital issues, and Bessie had wanted a divorce. However, he refused. And during this time, divorce was pretty rare, and that was something he could just do. And so she decided to move on. At some point, because she wasn't able to get this divorce, she ended up moving to Elko, Nevada and lived there for six months, which apparently qualified her to be a Nevada resident. And she was able to divorce him at that point. Not really sure the logistics behind that, but that's what she did. Now, the other half to our story is Glenn Rollins Hyde, and he was born December 9th, 1898, and he was a farmer in Twin Falls, Idaho. He was born to Roland and Mary Hyde and had siblings as well, and he had a real passion for boating, and he would start boating in Prince Rupert in British Columbia, and the family would take canoe trips. And in 1919, he actually went on this grand expedition with his friend, Jess, and they spent six months canoeing, fishing, and hunting on the Peace River in Canada. Later on, when he came back to Idaho, he met a boatman named Harry Golicke. I don't know if I'm saying that right. And he kind of got inspired by listening to Harry talking about his boating. And because of this, Glenn decided that he was going to start boating in this boat that was called a sweep scow, which was similar to what Harry would use. It was a wooden boat that was pretty wide and it was flat on the bottom so it could navigate shallow areas. Later on, he ended up taking this scow with his sister all the way to the Pacific Ocean um, from Salmon River, which I think 
might have been in Idaho. I don't know. It was a very long trip and it was a complicated one, but he completed it with his sister. So all this to say, Glenn really liked boating and he had a lot of experience with it. In 1927, Bessie took a passenger ship from San Francisco to Los Angeles. And while she was on the ship, she actually ran into Glenn and met him. And they ended up dating, falling in love and getting married. And in April of 1928, they got married. So pretty soon after they met. And with Glenn being the avid boater he was, he had this great idea to do this honeymoon voyage through the Grand Canyon with Bessie. And at this point, the route they were going to take was a pretty intense one. And by 1928, only 45 people had actually been able to go the entire length of it by boat. And it was all men at this point. And so this was going to be a pretty big feat if Glenn and Bessie did do it, because it would be Glenn would still be one of the first people in theory to do it. And Bessie would have been the first woman in history by making this. And it would have been the first time in this different kind of boat, the sweep scow that I had mentioned. That would be like some really cool things to be known for. Oh, yeah. I mean, it sounds like a great time. Plus, what a beautiful honeymoon to take. Oh, yeah. It sounds very relaxing. And I mean, there's nobody else around. It's really just you and your spouse. So kind of sounds like a great Mm -hmm. time. Also, the Grand Canyon, I've never been, but from photos, as we all know, is gorgeous. I know. I've always wanted to go there. In late October, and there are some date discrepancies that came up in my research, so I'm just going to give some kind of general dates. But in late October, they take off and they're expected to reach Needles, California. And some of the places say it was supposed to be a three-week trip. It ranges anywhere from three to five weeks from what I could find. But they were supposed to take off from the Green and Colorado Rivers in late October and reach Needles, California sometime in early December. And when they took off, they actually were making really good time. So the early parts of their trip, they make it through Labyrinth, Stillwater, and the Cataract Canyons, doing a great job and making some record time. And eventually they land at Bright Angel Creek and they decide they're gonna go ahead and hike the South Kaibab Trail. And so they stopped in their hiking and they run into this boatman who was, I guess, pretty well known for being a very successful boatman named Emery Kolb. And so he was kind of walking him around this area and the trail and talking to him. And something he recounts later is that Glenn and Bessie actually didn't take life jackets with them on their trip. And according to Emery, he tried to give them life jackets, but Glenn refused. Another thing Emery had noticed with them is that they seemed okay, but he did say Bessie seemed kind of like done with it and maybe wanted to take a break or end the trip. However, they decided to keep going. As I mentioned, Glenn and Bessie persisted on their trip and they're going down the river. And at some point, they actually meet someone else. They meet... Adolf Sutro, who apparently, again, is another person that was known for being an outdoorsman. And he actually was like, hey, could I could I ride with you guys for a little bit? Because it seems really fun. And so they're like, sure. And he actually went down the Hermit Creek for eight miles with Glenn and Bessie to where they let him off. And he, I'm assuming, hiked back. But I thought that was kind of cool how they're like meeting all these people on their trip. Yeah, I'm sure that they're really enjoying the chance to get to meet all these people. And honestly, it is a different kind of honeymoon, a different kind of experience that 
not everybody's going to get to experience in their life. So Mm -hmm. to me, it sounds really fun. I mean, exhausting, but it would be just such a great, a great trip to do. As I mentioned, they were expected in Needles, California in early of December. When they don't show up, Glenn's dad is like, all right, well, I know they were on this trip. They're not here and I'm nervous. So he takes a train to Las Vegas and he's enlisting other people to help him kind of look for them. So they go on multiple river search parties. They had volunteers. They had American Indian trackers. And they had additionally the Secretary of War at the time, Dwight Davis, who authorized an aerial search of the canyon. And so they're looking high and low. And on December 19th, some of the military planes that were looking around actually spotted the boat. And it was kind of snagged in this quiet pool of water. And so they note where it's at which was river mile 237 and they and they let glenn's father know and he takes some people down with him one of them being emery kolb the guy i mentioned earlier and they go down and make a boat so they can boat down to where glenn and bessie's boat was stuck on december 24th is when they actually end up launching a boat to go down and find the scow glenn and bessie's and christmas morning is when they finally get to it and as i said it was kind of in a calm pool of water and it appeared to have no damage to it it didn't look like it had been hit by rapids it didn't look like it had been overturned at any point there was still a ton of stuff in the boat including a camera um some photographs food, clothing, books, a gun, and Bessie's diary. However, there is no trace of Glenn or Bessie. They do find a, as I mentioned, a camera, and they find that there was a photograph that had been taken near mile 165, possibly on or around November 27th. And that's the last last known sighting they have of them and they kind of search the area around they're looking at the riverbanks seeing if maybe they had like gotten out of the boat and hiked up and they couldn't see anything don't really know much about what the weather is like in the grand canyon but were there because it was winter time were there any weird storms Mm -hmm. or anything that came through that would have been concerning in the time nothing noted they were a little concerned and confused because You would think if a big storm came through and they got like thrown off the boat, maybe there'd be damage to the boat or the stuff would have gotten thrown out too. And so it was kind of eerie to just see it sitting there seemingly untouched and them just gone. Well, it's also weird. You said everything was on the boat. It didn't like appear that anything was missing from what you said what you said so it doesn't sound like they were robbed what worries me with what you've presented so far is the last like known sighting that they were alive is that camera that photo from almost a month ago Mm -hmm. or probably a month ago what what date did they finally reach the boat uh december 25th okay so yeah about a month about a month since the photo was taken i knew it was like right around christmas but so i just that leaves a whole month of time period where we're not sure what could have happened. Mm-hmm. And in looking at Bessie's journal, they do see that she had mentioned that they cleared mile 231. What mile did you say their boat was at when they found it? It was, it says above 237. So at least six miles further than what Bessie had last noted in her journal. Interesting. And I don't know much about boats or the 1920s. So how long would have taken for them to travel six miles do you know that i can't imagine they were doing about 10 miles a day so okay so a little over half a day 
Okay. Depending on where they're at and how fast the water's flowing. And it seemed at that point that there was no new information and nothing came up for a long time, leading to a lot of theories. Now, there was a gentleman, and I can't remember when it came out, years later, Brad Dimmick had decided to kind of dive into the story. And he did eventually write a book about his theories and about this disappearance. It was called Sunk Without a Sound. Oh, it came out in 2001. But he had some theories about this. And as I mentioned, he was looking into it and he kind of was traveling and really investigating. And he was using public records and family accounts. And this can all be found in his book. But what he really wanted to look into was the boat they used and whether or not that trip would even be possible. So he ended up building a replica of Glenn and Bessie's boat which ended up being 20 foot long, five foot wide, and it was controlled by two 20 foot oar-like devices. And I guess this was to essentially mimic what Glenn and Bessie had taken, which was that skeep scow, um, also sometimes called a sweep scow. And it's the boat that is very flat at the bottom and wide. And it's like that so they can navigate over shallow water. So there would have been nothing like underneath for them to go into. It would have just been open the whole time. Correct. Like a very large flat canoe kind of deal. So I looked at a picture of it and I just can't imagine spending three to four weeks outside floating down the Grand Canyon in this. And and maybe I'm just not outdoorsy enough for that. I don't know. But I just feel like there's no protection from any sort of elements. I There's no way I'd be able to just sleep in this. I take back my comment that I made like at the very beginning of the episode where I said that this sounded like a relaxing honeymoon. I would divorce my husband if this is where he was taking me for a honeymoon. <laughs> it's definitely not something you want to do if you don't have a lot of experience outdoors. Remind me, I know Glenn obviously had a lot of experience, but Bessie didn't have the experience that Glenn had, correct? I know she was well-traveled and she wasn't afraid to go off on her own and explore, but I don't know how much outdoor experience she had. I also think there's a difference between just like exploring the outdoors and floating down the Grand Canyon for a month in like a canoe. I think those are two different things. <laughs> but yes, so at least yeah. she was adventurous. I mean, that would I, I wouldn't mind doing it for like a day or two. I, I just think a month seems like a very extensive period of time. Yeah, I think it'd be fun to do for like a week or so. I've always wanted to go backpacking for a week or two. I just haven't had the chance to. But yeah, it's definitely like it, you could probably pick up from Erica and I. It's not for everyone. <laughs> Sounds more fun to some people than others. And, you know, a lot of people were kind of concerned about their trip and their journey. And especially Emery, Kolb, who they saw and talk to he was concerned about it too yeah he was the one that was worried because they didn't have life jackets correct correct i forgot about the lack of life jackets until you just said his name again okay i'm just thinking through this disappearance i think is kind of weird i don't know if it was like a what's i don't even know the word like a pride thing like glenn was like we don't need them or what it was but it's it's very odd to me i agree yeah i'm assuming he just felt like there wasn't a need for him but how deep is the grand canyon like the the water. I mean, it's a long trip, so the areas range okay. from shallow to pretty deep. Some of those pools are probably pretty deep. I mean, I doubt it gets anything like lake deep. That's just a guess, but deep enough that if there's rapids, 
Yeah. You probably should have a life jacket. Back to Brad. So him and his wife, Jerry, decided that they were going to try to do this trip in this boat that was replicated after Glenn and Bessie's. And they actually, when they did it, they had a friend with a motorboat going with them and they had life jackets and they had helmets. And they went down. They didn't get, definitely didn't get the whole way. And they're talking about how horrifying it was and that actually at one point, Brad was nearly killed when he got thrown out of the boat because he hit what he called as some swirlies. I'm not really sure what that means. I'm guessing rapids. And basically he was like, I don't believe that they could have done this. He's leaning towards the fact that because of the boat and the dangerous parts of it that they, you know, maybe got, they hit something and flew out of the boat or one person fell in and the other person jumped in. I think the thing that kind of combats that, and there's some other stuff I'll talk about, but The fact that all their stuff was still in there, seemingly unharmed by water, it's it's curious. It's not impossible, obviously, but it leaves enough room to question whether that could have happened or did happen. I also feel like if they got bumped and somebody got knocked out, like you almost feel like it would have to be a big enough bump that there would possibly be some slight damage to the boat. And from what you said, there was nothing noticeable unless it was just like a giant rapid or wave that came out of nowhere but that would have to be and then nothing else gets knocked off it's just the two humans it's curious something else that brad wanted to kind of discuss in his book and i'm going to give you a little backstory there were some rumors that glenn and bessie were seen arguing a lot before they launched on their trip and they took a photo before they started and people say that they both look kind of grim and not happy in the photo and so a lot of people have speculated that maybe they were arguing and maybe like and maybe glenn killed bessie and then took off and assumed a new like a different life and brad in his book and his research wanted to say that from accounts he read from bessie's journals interviews with family members and other people who knew them that they were a very loving and devoted couple And he was pretty big on saying that he wanted to kind of put that to rest. So obviously you can believe what you want, but he, from his research, didn't believe this to be true. However, this kind of thought process that they were fighting and maybe had some darker things going on does lead to another pretty interesting theory. About 40 years after Glenn and Bessie vanished, there was a group of men who were taking their boats down the river in the same area. And they see this elderly woman who was on a boat trip by herself. And they're like, do you want to come with us? And so she's like, sure. She introduced herself as Georgie Clark. I guess they had stopped and they were camping out and they had a campfire and they were talking and there was a tour guide that was with this group of men and he was talking about this legend of Glenn and Bessie disappearing. And at some point, Georgie says that she was Bessie Hyde and she claims that she was actually Bessie and that they got and that her and Glenn had gotten into a fight and she actually ended up stabbing him. And this was because Bessie wanted to leave because she thought the trip was too dangerous, but Glenn was like invested, started to hit her and beat her. And so she ended up grabbing a knife and stabbing him. 
And everyone kind of was taken aback by it because of how nonchalantly she was saying it. And they kind of go on with the trip. And afterwards, they find her phone number. And one of the men calls her and was like, can I talk to you more about this? I want to do like an interview. And she just denied everything and said she never made that claim and hung up the phone. Apparently, the same woman had told some of her best friends that she was Bessie Hyde as well. After she passed away, her friends were looking through her stuff and they claimed that when they went through her belongings, they found a birth certificate that said her real name was Bessie DeRoss and they found a marriage certificate for Bessie and Glenn Hyde. And additionally, they found that she had had a pistol, which I don't really know how that relates to evidence of her being Bessie, but it was mentioned, so I'll mention it to y'all. Everybody was kind of like taken aback, like, oh, is this true? Now, the other side of that is that they found photos of Georgie when she was younger, and people claim that she looked drastically different than Bessie. And so it's kind of this question of, was she telling the truth or was she lying? And she was so deep in the lie that she made these fake documents or if they are real and she wasn't Bessie, how did she get them? That's really strange. Like a really strange claim. It is odd though, the evidence that they found to support it. Cause I mean, really the only evidence that they yeah. have to deny it is the fact that her childhood photos don't really look like her. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like that's a and great denial. I mean, did she explain like she just left everything behind cause she wanted people to think that she also died? So she wouldn't go down for the murder? I'm assuming that would have been the thought process with that. It seems odd to me that she would just admit that to a group of people that she never met if it was true. But I guess maybe if in your head there's no way they can prove it, you might say it. I don't know. It's all a little weird. I'm not sure where I land on that. But it's certainly interesting that they found a birth certificate where saying her name was Bessie and a marriage certificate for Bessie and Glenn Hyde yeah. in her stuff. I mean, was it really ever fully investigated, like any DNA testing or any? Well, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I mean, nothing else has ever really came of it. There was a gentleman named Richard Westwood who wrote an entire biography on Georgie. He kind of came up with his own opinion on this and basically was saying that Georgie Clark was a a very successful outdoorsman and she was a solo woman adventurer that was again a great outdoorsman but not Bessie Hyde in his opinion it's one person's opinion if he wrote an entire biography on her he probably has a lot more information than we do but I just think that was something very interesting to note so I have one more theory, and this one surrounds Emery Cole, the gentleman I mentioned earlier. Now, when they found Glenn and Bessie's boat, the search party, what they ended up doing was cutting it loose and just letting it go, assumably because they couldn't pull it back up. Um, but some people believe Emery was maybe doing something a little sketchy. He was one of the last people to see them alive. He knew where they were and what their route was. And when Emery passed away in the 1970s, when relatives were cleaning out his house, they found the complete skeleton of a human man. And this skeleton had a bullet hole through its head. What? Yeah. And so, of course, newspapers pick up on this and they think, 
oh shoot, like, did Emery have something to do with them? Is this Glenn's body? Did he have something to do with both their murders? And they have a scientist look at photos of Glenn and the skull that was found. And he is able to determine or concludes that there were enough facial structures that were different, key facial structures that were different, that the body wasn't Glenn Hyde. But now they're like, did Emery murder this person? And who is this John Doe at this point? So now we have a whole other whole other crime happening, potentially. These are all very valid questions. Also, it does make you then question, even though that body may not have been Glenn's, did he still harm Glenn? And this is just another person that he mm-hmm. harmed. Yep. And that's exactly what people start to question. And in late 2008, people began to look into this again. In late 2008, they were looking into this case, the situation in the skeleton, and they had found that Emery served as a county as a county coroner and a jury representative for Grand Canyon. And so people kind of thought maybe the skull in the skeleton was from a case. I still think it's kind of weird that he would have it, but whatever. There was an effort led by the Coconino, Cosonino, I'm not sure which way to pronounce that, County Sheriff's Office, and they were looking into cold cases. And so they come back around to the skeleton and they start looking at old photographs, old logs, and they're able to identify that the skeleton might have been from somebody who committed suicide in the park in June of 1933. And apparently a man was found on a ledge under the canyon rim near Shoshone Point in that there was a 32 caliber revolver with two cartridges and an exploded shell near the body. And it had a bullet hole in the skull right above the right temple, which is the same place as this skeleton they found in Emery's garage. And they decided that it was suicide. And when they had found it, this skeleton, they had thought that he had died or the death had occurred several years prior. So what they did is compared the photos that they had of the skeleton that was found at this place to the skeleton that they found in Emery's garage through photographs and they were able to match it and they're pretty sure that it is the same skeleton. However, they still don't know who the John Doe is. Even if it's not Glenn, it's still really suspicious. It's weird that it would be in his garage. Yeah, I agree. Like even if it was from a case or something like that was related to his job or anything like that, like that gives him a reason to be around that skeleton, but it doesn't give him a reason to just keep it in his garage. That can't be protocol. Yeah. You know, and the articles and stuff I was reading, they're kind of like, oh, well, of course he had it. Like, this is fine. And I was like, this seems weird to me. It still seems sketchy that he was one of the last people to see them alive. And he's the one that made these claims that they seem like, you know, they were maybe fighting a little. Bessie was unhappy that they wouldn't take any life jackets. And then this all happens. It seems... I can understand why people are drawing conclusions and having theories about it. And maybe it is innocent and he was just trying to help. But it's also weird, you know, that he was a part of that search party and decided to cut the boat loose. It's like you could really look at it either way, like a really good Samaritan or a really creepy person. And it's kind of hard to define where in that spectrum he is. Something I will mention, they never found any anything else about Glenn and Bessie. They never found their remains or anything. Bessie's father 
was pretty adamant that a murder had occurred. He wasn't convinced that they just drowned and the bodies weren't found. However, depending on who you ask, there's a lot of people that think they probably just got booted out from the boat when they hit some rapids. Maybe they hit their head and couldn't get back to the boat and drowned. Obviously, if you're in rapids in a fast-moving river, it's possible that the bodies would never be found, but a lot of people really think that that's unlikely just because of the state of the boat and the other suspicious circumstances. But to this day, we still don't know exactly what happened to Glenn and Bessie. Thanks to listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.